Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. And on this occasion, the Doing Time Show is actually doing the show remotely. Um, and obviously, we are still in the middle of a pandemic and there have been some restrictions eased and we'll just have to see how we go. First up on the show, we're going to be speaking with Brett Collins from Justice Action. And Brett has done some wonderful work with Justice Action in New South Wales and he founded that organisation, I believe. And we're going to be speaking with him about mental health issues and detention and also forced medication of people experiencing mental health issues. So that's first up. And then after that, we'll be speaking with senior lawyer Karen Pender on the proposed new online surveillance laws. And Karen is actually from the Human Rights Law Centre. And then at 4.30, we're going to be speaking with Uncle Stan. And Uncle Stan will be speaking with us about a prison island. And it was a penal settlement, I believe. Um, and it's called Rotness Island. And there were actually prisoners on that island. And we were meant to speak to him last week and we had some technical difficulties. So he's very kindly agreed to come back and talk about that and talk about some of the genocide and atrocities and violation of human rights that happened um, with Aboriginal prisoners. But first up, we have Brett Collins, and welcome to the program. Yes, good afternoon, Marissa. It's lovely to have you, Brett. It's been a while, hasn't it? Yes, it has been. We're pumping up. We've got a, a nice team of people working every day, so we've got, we haven't slowed down here, that's for sure. And there will oh, be obligations. Oh, sure so. not. <laughs> Brett, can you talk to us about what's happening with Justice Action and what's happening in, in the area of mental health? Yes, look, absolutely. The issue of mental health is a, is a vexed one. It really is a hard one because so you, you hear all these kindly, and I use the word um, carefully with inverted commas, kindly people who talk about um, ensuring that you know, all these poor mentally ill people who are in prison that they should um, they should be um, treated better. But um, we, we have found that the moment they talk in those terms, what they're really talking about is they're talking about medicating people and um, and forcing medicating people if they um, aren't prepared to accept medications as a matter of course. So you have all these people who, and mostly who are represented in prisons, as everyone knows, 14, 15 times the rate of imprisonment for Aboriginal people. Uh, the result of um, uh, of um, the uh, medical or mental health intervention into prisons will be um, a lot more Aboriginal people will end up being medicated and forced medicated. So we, we did an inspection of um, a, a prison um, here in New South Wales about more, maybe four or five years ago, and in the in the mental health area there, every single person that was forcibly medicated, um, and, oh, sorry, there's one person who wasn't, um, but then when we did a, um, I had a discussion, a meeting with them, um, they actually all put their head down. We asked them, can you, could you refuse the medication they're giving you? They put their head down and their heads. Uh, so, you know... <laughs> Um, I've heard, you know, had a discussion actually just only last week with a, a man who's down in the in um, Fulham prison. He's uh, in a high security area down there, and um, and he asked one of his mates, "So, listen, mate, would you rather have five years less of his sentence um, and and not be medicated?" He said, "I would rather not be medicated." <laughs> you know, so they, what do you they, mean? Uh, can, wait, can, sorry, can you just explain that a little bit further and give an example? So, what do you mean by that oh, exactly? Well, absolutely. See, I mean, medication is one of those issues where you um, you stagger around and like a zombie. Uh, the side effects of the uh, antipsychotic medication is is not just short term; it's long term, and people require it over a long period to continue it. So you have things like the side effects are you get a big belly, you want to sleep all the time, lie down, you've lost all the energy, you get things like you've got heart problems as well. Diabetes is almost like a like a you know yeah. a side effect. And the and the medical profession as a whole just says, oh well, you know, there are some side effects, but and they go, but 
And then, so this is a continual position. So they're saying, look, it's safer for, for safer for whom? Oh, well, <laughs> safer for the community if you walk around kind of like a zombie. And so there, there's this real pressure on people to exceed medication rather than to be a, like a fully-fledged human being. And, some, and they, they can often be in a situation where they actually lose, they have a lesser, a lesser sentence. So you can say, okay, well, if you if you're under a section and the number of sections of um, whether it's Victoria or whatever um, state it is, number of sections where they can just shunt you sideways into into a mental health um, ward, and you you think as though you're getting off, but you're not getting off at all because they you end up staggering out of out of the um, out of the hospital area, um, uh, being required to be medicated, and if they uh, don't if you don't turn up for your injection once a month. And then they send the police around. So now, it's a really big issue and one in which we've been fully grappling now because you know, we see it as being very much of a prison issue. And we look very carefully at people who say, oh, well, at least poor mentally ill people went, yeah, well, what are you going to do with them? Right? And what we always know, we know, right, without a question, after long periods of discussion, that they're always talking about medication um, and, um, and that doesn't work at all for prisoners, does not. So you mean you're saying then that the... They, they're sent to hospitals or institutions to serve out the rest of their sentence. Is that what you're saying? Yes, in fact, look, we can tell you, and I'm talking particularly um, here in New South Wales, but, um, but um, in Victoria, I had a discussion with a man who's in Victoria at the moment in Pullman, and he spoke to the guy beside him. He said, um, he said, this guy's, he said, this, this staggers around the place. He said, Frankie, come over here and let me have with you. He said, Frankie, would you like, rather have um, have your medication, um, uh, which they've given you now, or would you rather have um, and have five years off your sentence? Right? Or would you rather not have the medication? He said, I'd rather not have the medication. And can you direct listeners to a report um, that's been compiled by Justice Action or by the government where they can read up on this stuff? Uh, sorry, I missed that first question, Ms. Marissa. Uh, sorry, can you direct listeners to a report? Where, report. Yep, know. absolutely. Well, well, look on our website. There's like we've done a, like a lot of work around forced medication. Actually, the laws are very quite are quite clear. Yeah. So we have, look, they've been dealing carefully with the people who who are the mental health consumers. So people who are not charged with offences who aren't held in jails, but are actually held in in inverted commas involuntary uh, facilities inside the hospital areas, or else they're held um, allowed out in the community, but they have to turn up once a month for their um, their injection. So so all that all that material is on our Justice Action website. So anyone who's doing some research if they want to go to the pull down menu um, uh, mental and the pull down menu mental mental and then force medication is there's uh, an index page coming off of that and we have a body of work behind that. A lot of lot of material. And we actually had a um, a case just last week where we were in front of the um, Canterbury Mental Health Service and we were beside this um, Indian extraction man and, uh, and um, he was accused of nothing. He wasn't. He, he just, at some stage, he was concerned, depressed, and they, they had him now for the last two or maybe three years on a community treatment order and we stood beside him and we were um, calling them to account um, to look at his file and to, and, to, um, and to see where the legal justification is for doing it because it's not there. And they and they tend to um, um, to uh, bully people into accepting medication or entice them and entice them as though they um, they are uh, it's a benefit for them. Um, yeah, not there to doesn't be seem to be much of, of an understanding, and it appears really that the criminal justice system and it impacts quite a lot on people experiencing mental health. And Absolutely. also, no, Brett, can you can you comment on the the Royal Commission? What's happening? Do you think that the Royal well, Commission would be a useful tool? Uh, well, yes and no. I mean, what they're, they're hearing a lot of um, a lot from uh, the professionals in the area, so we're hearing a lot of comments and we're hearing a lot of sympathy once again for the people who um, who are held in institutions and who aren't getting access to a whole lot of stuff. But what we're also finding is that is that the alternative ways of handling people who have issues, and a lot of people have got social issues, that those alternative ways are not there. So we have we what um, and we haven't heard properly argued, and we'll be presenting as part of our argument is that the need for community support, um, in with supported accommodation, peer mentoring, and um, people around them, and also access to um, services inside the prisons themselves. All those things are basic. You can't just throw a person out the streets and and um, don't give them a, a, a home they can go to. You know, you must have a um, you know something to replace the prison, which is at least um, uh, where you are in charge yourself and you can have food and you have access to a, a job. No, a job. 
Absolutely. There there really isn't all that much support. And I know we were talking off air about Miriam. Can you talk to listeners briefly about her? Oh, look, absolutely. Look, Miriam Merton's case is her case. Well, in some ways, it's... Well, everyone accepts that actually um, her treatment, Miriam Merton up at Lismore-based hospital um, a few years ago now, um, was um, reflected on the whole of the mental health service here in New South Wales, but also is the same Australia-wide. And what, what Miriam Burton was, this, uh, a woman 60-odd years old, um, mother of um, uh, two young um, daughters and um, who, um, whom they knew, and um, she walked into the hospital. They held her in seclusion inside an area where she was stripped naked, and she had been accused of nothing. All she was, she was distressed, and they said, well, and she was defecating, she had no control of her bowels, and she was also hitting her head against the walls. Now, the, the nurse engaged and other people engaged in the ward, they just let her stagger around, fall over and hit her head on the floor, on the ground, and all they did was nonchalantly mop the floor of the blood and the feces on the floor and ignored her entirely. When she died, they then lied to her daughters. And it was only when the inquest and threw up CCTV footage and showed them, everybody, what happened, that people went, hang on. How could you have such callous behaviour with a woman who's so distraught? And we had all these, then the ministers came in, and all the others are appalling. The daughters, they were just so angry, and they made sure that the media saw exactly what happened. They saw how their mother was treated, and um, and the response of that was they said that have a, um, a root and branch um, a stripping of the mental health system here in, here in New South Wales. They've changed things, they said. They had two inquiries, and at the end of it, they said they'd do things and did nothing. Yes, I wanted I wanted you to. That's really fantastic that you were able to talk about that. Brett, we're nearing the end of the interview because I've got two others to get through. Um, are there any final comments you wanted to make? Well, look, I, I guess a couple of things really. I mean, you know, we're not only in the mental health area. But most importantly, most of the people inside prison are, are you know aren't in the mental health space. So things like the, the um, uh, we're concerned about human rights. So there's uh, just now there are a few changes happening around this um, United Nations um, uh, 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 Convention Against Torture called OPCAS. So there's some things coming in that they're quite useful. We're concerned that it's going to be real. So we want to make sure that there will be things like, for example, solitary confinement should be ended. Right? And strip searching of women, women prisoners, should be ended. The two things straight away which are you know, causing unnecessary distress, which is a part of, of the um, Convention Against Torture, and the other thing we're doing is working very strongly in this national database of deaths in custody because uh, there are some things that change in there. We're looking for a, a national database of feedback from the affected authorities. We're trying to define oh. that really carefully. So, so it goes on. It's and hits the work. <laughs> so the database on deaths in custody, I'll have to... I'll have to get you back on the show to talk about that because that would be quite an involved topic. And I may actually get you back on in the lead-up because we're actually preparing um, a memorial show for Uncle Ray Jackson in April, so I might get you back before that to talk about that. Okay, yes, love to talk with you about it. Very important, and and so we're getting some support from the coroners um, that there's um, there's some things that can happen that um, will improve the way... And the follow follow up and make sure people don't sit, uh, don't die in the way they have in the past. So that'll be all. It's all very important. It is extremely. So that's a number of organisations that are working on that, including Justice Action. Uh, well, yes, we, look, we're linking up with other organisations. I mean, we, look, we, what we are trying to do most of all is force the coroners and also the attorneys general. Right, to uh, to change the rules. So when something happens in one state, in Victoria, for example, then the state of same Western Australia should have um, the same recommendations should apply. If the same situation applies, Absolutely. it should, should also um, uh, should have feedback from Western Australia to a coroner's uh, statement in Victoria. There are things that um, are natural, uh, things that should happen, and don't, they haven't been. So that's the sort of pressure exactly. we're putting on the government at the moment. We'll have to get talking about that. Well, thank you so much, Brett, for coming onto the program, and we'll we'll have you back soon. Thank you, Marissa. Lovely to speak to you guys. Well, well done. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. And that was Brett Collins from Justice Action, and we're now going to go into an announcement. We've got a common enemy. The same government that locks up these refugees just behind us here at the Park Hotel is the same government that's going for our rights, trying to attack the very limited gains that casuals have. 
And so when union activists take up the cause of refugees amongst their fellow workers, it's not an act of charity. It's about building workers' united self-defence mechanism, understanding that we're all part of the same battle. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. show and it's approximately 4.15 and we're going to be speaking now with senior lawyer Karen Pender from the Human Rights Law Centre and we're speaking to him about some dangerous new surveillance law that's being proposed. Um, the Human Rights Law Centre has expressed alarm about an expansive new law proposed by Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton. Hello uh, Karen, welcome to the program. Thanks very much for having me. It's lovely to have you. Can you talk to us a little bit about what's happening with this law and some of the work that the Human Rights Law Centre is doing and, and how the law was actually invented? Sure. Uh, just before Christmas, Minister Dutton introduced into Parliament a new surveillance bill which will represent yet another increase of uh, the Australian law enforcement and intelligence capacity to spy on everyday Australians. The uh, Human Rights Law Centre is really concerned about um, this bill uh, called the Surveillance Legislation Amendment Identifying Disrupt Bill that gives the AFP uh, ever-increasing powers to spy on everyday Australians. So would you say then that the powers would be given to federal police and that they're invasive? Yeah, they're certainly invasive. Um, so this proposed law gives the police the ability to seek three new types of online surveillance warrants. One would allow the police to access data um, on computers. Uh, one would allow them to monitor online activity. And a third would allow them to take over anyone's online account. Uh, now, when the minister introduced these laws, he talked about safeguards, he talked about thresholds, this only applying to the highest category of criminal activity and, and the Human Rights Law Centre has looked at the bill and none of those promises are sort of uh, are met in the actual law that's being proposed. So there's a real uh, gulf between what is being said and what the, this law, if it's enacted by Parliament, would actually allow the Federal Police to do. It's interesting because from what I was having... I'm just having a look at the media release here that was put out by the Human Rights Law Centre. And basically, is it true then that the Surveillance Law Legislation Amendment Identify and Disrupt Bill 2020 was introduced to Parliament in December, wasn't it? Yes. And they were stating that the new powers were intend to help, intending to help tackle serious crime. I fail to see how that could actually happen or if indeed other minority groups like activists and Aboriginal people would perhaps be impacted? That's exactly one of our primary concerns. Um, surveillance capacity of the state should be extremely limited. It should be properly justified and carefully contained. And we think that these new powers being proposed meet none of those thresholds. Uh, and we're concerned, as you say, that these laws will have a chilling effect on free speech and on political activity and could... Um, disproportionately impact marginalised and vulnerable groups. Uh, you know, you mentioned um, protest groups, whistleblowers, journalists, people going about important activities um, that uphold Australian democracy uh, uh, will be um, potentially... Their, their activities will be threatened or limited or chilled by these increasing surveillance powers being given to the state. Yeah, it doesn't sound... It, it doesn't sound very... It sounds very toxic, actually. And, in fact, I spent a period in America, and this sounds terribly very much like the Patriot Act over there, where online um, accounts were being monitored and you also had um, helicopters that were flying over the homes of particular activists. I'm not sure whether you, you remember Operation Backfire, where um, activists, environmental activists were actually swept up 
um, and and accused of domestic and eco terrorism. Yeah, it's uh, you know that's one example of the risks that are posed by expansive surveillance powers, um, and that's just we've really been on a one-way journey. Unfortunately, in the past twenty years, the parliament and the government continue to introduce broader and broader, more and more expansive surveillance laws without giving the evidence for why they're strictly necessary to address legitimate concerns and without the proper safeguards and proportionality in applying these sweeping draconian laws to everyday Australians. Yeah, so, so really, in, in practice, Karen, the that means that people's emails would be looked at, wouldn't it? Internet, um, any online accounts that they've got with with uh, you know banking or where they're going, yes? That, that's certainly a risk. So to take, for example, the network activity warrant, that enables AFP to get a warrant um, to monitor online activity in relation to certain offences, and, and really that's any criminal offence uh, above three years maximum imprisonment. Um, but, but it's very expansive in who you can then monitor. Uh, and so, for example, on one reading of that provision in this new bill, if uh, someone suspected of a relevant offence is on WhatsApp, in theory, under this bill, um, anyone, any Australian who's using WhatsApp could be monitored. Now, you know, the government may say that was that's a, an expansive interpretation or a drafting error, but this is the bill that's been put to Parliament for Australians to scrutinise, and, and we say it's far too broad for its stated intent. Absolutely, Karen. And what is most concerning and troubling here is that the, this information or data that is being used would be used from these online accounts. Most people wouldn't actually be committing a crime and the bill could go perhaps so far as to, is to have people say, oh, well, they were going to commit that crime. Certainly. So in Australian law, there's a really important principle called the freedom from self-incrimination. So Australians can't be compelled to give up information that's prejudicial to them in terms of a criminal accusation. Um, so, for example, if the police come to your door with a search warrant, yes, you've got to open the door, but you don't have to help them search. Um, we're worried that one part of this bill that enables the police to get assistance orders to force people to assist with the execution of these new warrants, doesn't have adequate safeguards for that freedom. And we could see um, Australians being locked up up to 10 years for not assisting um, in the execution of these warrants when, um, in doing so, they're protecting or seeking to protect their freedom from self-incrimination. And, of course, now that doesn't only apply to people who are, who are accused of, of offences under this law, but also you know, third parties, people who may have other material who may, for very legitimate reasons, be concerned about assisting police and now told either help us or go to jail for 10 years. Yes, there's already enough laws um, that have been enacted to tackle serious crime and we've already seen, haven't we, the way that um, ABC journalists um, have been treated? Exactly. And this is you know, part of a broader point, which is a, a, a trend towards a, a secret state, an opaque state, where the press are raided, where whistleblowers are being prosecuted and surveillance powers are being expanded. Uh, at the Human Rights Law Centre, we believe all of these issues have a really negative impact on the strength of Australian democracy, and that it's really important that we fight each of them, but then also see this as part of a bigger picture. You know, these new surveillance powers are not being... Uh, are proposed in isolation, but as part of that broader picture of state surveillance and opacity and a lack of transparency in Australian government. I find it really interesting that this is happening during the pandemic. Yes, and certainly the pandemic has given rise to many concerns about surveillance and data. And of course, for some of that, it's very legitimate, you know, requirements. For example, to yeah. to log in to a to a, an app to you know, assist with contract tracing, but in any surveillance law, there needs to be appropriate safeguards. And we say in this new bill that's been proposed um, by Minister Dutton, those safeguards are severely lacking. So what could the Morrison government do, do differently? How could he ensure that there are robust safeguards to minimise the adverse impact of new surveillance powers? 
Sure, that, that's a great question. So this bill's currently before uh, the Parliamentary Joint Committee on Intelligence and Security and the Human Rights Law Centre has made a submission uh, and will be appearing uh, on, on Wednesday week to lay out some of those recommendations. I mean, I think the first point is we don't need new surveillance capacity and to the extent it is needed, we want to see you know, the evidence for that. But then at a technical level, there are many changes that need to be made to this bill to make it justified, proportionate and with sufficient safeguards. So we call on the Morrison government and Minister Dutton to withdraw this bill, go back to the drawing board, consult adequately with relevant stakeholders and then come back with a much, potentially with a much narrower version of the law. Absolutely. And, it's, it's, and I think you've just... You described the three warrants, didn't you, just before? Yes. About police? And that it's it's really quite uh, quite disturbing, Karen. Yes, well, certainly we are very concerned about it. We think it erodes the democratic freedoms of Australians, and so the Human Rights Law Centre will be doing all we can to try and ensure um, that you know, our concerns are listened to and enacted. And when is that being debated, the bill? Uh, it's before this committee, a uh, very important parliamentary committee with oversight of, of intelligence. Um, powers and issues. Uh, it's being heard um, by that committee um, not this Wednesday, but the Wednesday after. Uh, that'll then, the committee will make a recommendation and report um, as to how the bill should proceed and hopefully some of our concerns will be listened to and uh, dealt with by the government. And you think the bill will pass in some form? Uh, I wouldn't like to speculate, and we have to hope that um, these legitimate and important and compelling concerns are listened to. But I think if you look at past history, unfortunately, uh, too often surveillance bills are being rushed through Parliament with bipartisan support um, under the guise of, uh, you know, concerns about national security, for example. Um, you know, we, we really think that we need um, for any surveillance capacity that's going to impact uh, everyday Australians and their democratic rights, we need... Um, robust scrutiny, um, independent monitoring and checks and balances that are absent from this bill and absent from many of the other laws that have already passed Parliament in the last decade or so. Absolutely. No, this, this, is, this is even worse than ever because I was just having a look here that, you know, the bill also enables police to seek an assistance order in conjunction with any of the, the three new warrants. And to, what does that basically mean? Uh, so that would enable um, the police to require anyone to help in the execution of those warrants, either um, the person who is the, the suspect or, or third parties. You know, if, if someone is, is a suspect and they have a, a job, maybe the employer would be forced to provide assistance. Um, you know, a narrow assistance order is, is in keeping with broad, you know, criminal procedure. If, if a policeman comes to your door, you Supposed to, with a warrant, you're required to open it. But we think these assistance orders are far broader than is ordinary and reasonable, and we need proper safeguards. And how can people get access to the submission that the Human Rights Law uh, Centre? If, if, if you go to the HRLC website, um, uh, Human Rights Law Centre website, you'll see um, the media release and the submission. Uh, and as I said, we'll be appearing in Parliament on Wednesday week. Uh, among with other civil society stakeholders to talk about these issues to the Joint Committee. Thank you so much. And finally, um, I wonder, and this is just a, a quick comment, Karen, I wonder if this is actually going to be, if the bill goes ahead, which I hope it doesn't, where they're going to introduce grand juries. You know how there, there wouldn't be a fair trial. Certainly, uh, you know, those concerns about the robustness of our, our criminal system uh, in, in dealing with issues of national security are, are acute concern to the Human Rights Law Centre. We see with the prosecution, for example, of Bernard Caleri, Witness K, in regards to Australia spying on Timor-Leste or David McBride in regards to war crimes in Afghanistan, secrecy law and national security law being used to shroud uh, really um, compellingly important prosecutions, um, you know, prosecutions so that raise compelling, important issues and questions about whether the prosecutions are appropriate being shrouded in secrecy. And so this is just another example of, of the expanse of Australia's surveillance and secrecy state. Let's hope. Let's hope not. We'll try our best. Thank you so much, Karen, for coming onto the program, and I'm sure we'll be having you back very soon. Thanks a lot. Great. Thanks very much for your time. Take care.
Hi, this is Renata from the IWD Collective. We're calling feminists of all genders and feminist allies. March 8th is International Women's Day, and this year it's special as it's also Labor Day in Victoria and a public holiday. This year's rally in March will kick off at 2pm at the steps of Parliament House, and then we'll make our way through the CBD to the State Library. Come early and be part of a momentous event. There will also be a limited after-party at the Queen Victoria Women's Centre. See you there. A 3CR supporter. As we go marching, marching, we're standing proud and tall. The rising of the women means the rising of the soul. Hi, my name is Lex Wharton and I listen to 3CR and I hope you do too. I hope that you could support 3CR in its radiothon because 3CR supports the fight for communities and support in all areas of struggles. So please listen to 3CR. And you're back with the Doing Time show, 3CR Community Radio. And we just spoke earlier with Kieran Pender about some very alarming surveillance bill uh, um, oh. bills that could be that could be introduced and next up we've got Uncle Stan who we tried to interview last week and there was very bad reception he was in a remote area and we're going to be speaking to him about a prison island um, with Aboriginal people and and looking at some history there hello uncle how are you I'm good thank you Molly it's really good to have you now Uncle Stan last week was a bit crazy wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I was about 112 k's north of Perth and it was on the beach, a little settlement on the beach there and I couldn't get through the reception properly. That's okay. It's all good. All right, so can you just maybe just give a quick introduction about, you know, really the... what I know you're in WA, but what is the, if you like, the country, that, that the land that your your ancestors come from and yourself? Um, well, uh, along the southwest, like north of Perth, and it heads down towards the southwest, is the hills, what we call the Moro. And um, and and uh, for about twenty k's, it's twenty k's inland, twenty about fifteen to twenty k's inland, and um, that's where the um, ocean was up uh, about six hundred to eight hundred years ago. 800,000 years ago. And um, then the receded out way out past Rottenness and the land was way out there. And during those years, up until 7,000 years ago, when the, the ocean started coming up again, uh, um, it was... Uh, uh, there's evidence there of, of um, human um, occupation. <laughs> And um, and then seventy uh, that was seventy five hundred years, seven thousand six hundred and fifty thousand years uh, thousand years ago. That's when the um, oceans receded up to where Fremantle is now, what is the coast now? So uh, Rottnest was cut off. And um, inland, down down south towards the, the further south of Perth, it's pretty flat all the way. You could tell it was just ocean because of the flatness. Yeah. And it's still so like you're Perth. yeah. Perth is okay. mainly um, all the north and south of Perth and all around the city was mainly wetlands and swamps and fresh water, and there was abundance of wildlife and, and feed. There was that much feed there. Um, uh, uh, the Jungars and the, all the Southwest Aborigines lived, lived uh, uh, like kings, if you like, because uh, there was an abundance of food until the settlement. Until the white man came. Okay. Taken away. So, are you what what land within the Noongar Nation are you, are you from? Um, I'm from um, my grandmother. My dad's mother is um, is uh, the Wajak from the Wajak area, which is the Perth area, from Pinjarra South to 
and up north, uh, Mora North, which is about 180 kilometres north of Perth. Pinjarra is about 80 kilometres south of Perth. And um, and into the hills is, uh, is all the Wajak area. Okay. There were, different, there were three different tribes, three different chiefs who ran the three different areas. In the south, north, north of the city, or north of the river, south of the river and east of the river. Right. So, how did you, Uncle Stan? How did you get to hear about Rottnest Island? You, you're, you're, I believe you're on the board there. And can you tell us a little bit about the background there and what ha- what happened? Um, well, as I was growing up, um, I started to uh, attending. I started uh, with Len Colbung was the director of legal, Aboriginal Legal Aid then, and I started. Um, uh, I was more or less the designated driver at one little stage there, and then um, I went on from there. And um, Len introduced me. I was still a young man, and Len introduced me to all that sort of stuff and all the meetings. And I've been going to meetings ever since. Yeah. Okay. So, so with um, the Rottnest Island, um, when did that happen? So obviously that happened in 1829, did it? What What happened? No, that, Can you just that, describe what it is? Well, it's um, well Rottnest Prison Island. That was. It was officially a, a, a penal colony from, um, or an island from prison from 18, about 1838 till about 1931. And, um, and uh, people in the early stages, they were just around from um, the Perth area and then down, then, uh, and then they started bringing them from York area, which is about 80 k's east of Perth and all the way down. <coughs> All the way down to Albany, and all the um, southern towns through from Perth to Albany, and then, then they started bringing them in further, further from a field like Esperance, Kalgoorlie, uh, through the, uh, the, the gold fields, and then through up to the Murchison, Jilton, and Murchison, and then they started bringing them all down from the, the from from uh, the uh, Kimberleys and the Pilbara, and um, and they started uh, just for anything for spearing. Uh, sheep or, or um, protecting their women from the white man and they put it down as assault so they were interned there for up to seven years or well, sometimes the locals were interned for uh, for one year for that was in the in the, in the, the first lot were, were interned just for stealing because during the 30s when the um, settlers more and more settlers came to Perth they uh, they all the, all the uh, food sources were were um, were either um, all the kangaroos and emus and all the wildlife were either eaten by the white men and, and, and the land was cleared to make way for, for um, farmers and uh, houses and, and, and the, the white men's um, uh, settlement uh, living things. Anyway, they um, and then they say that the black fellow he couldn't go too far south to, from his from the river because he was in that was an alien land he wasn't allowed to go to you know you're not allowed to go to other people's area and um north of uh, the, the, the uh, Swan River and east of the Swan River yeah. and because there was hardly any food left the stocks were all whittled out by the white man well they started spearing sheep and, and robbing from the white man and, and and breaking into their house and pinching uh, uh, flour and whatever and they were incarcerated on Rottnest for that for uh, at least a year or more. Oh. Yeah. Well, that, you know, Uncle, I think what I, from what I've seen here, it was three years after settlement that everything was taken, all the, the medicinal plants yeah. and the traditional yeah, vegetation. Well, at the top of what, what is the Perth City now, you've got St George's Terrace and, that, and then up to Murray Street, over to Murray Street and Hay Street's in the middle, right along the top. Well, that was all all bush and little and pure water there, with all a lot of the, the, the tribes used to come and meet and live, and um, and then they go down the other side of the river, or it was where Harrison Island is now, which is what we called um what uh, um, Madagara. That's where the there was a three four little um sort of little um, um islands there, like you know there. 20, 40, 50, 100 square metres around or whatever. Anyway, that's where the crossing was. It was, it was uh, shallow. Yeah. And, um, they, they, you know, like all around Australia, really, they, they they were going from place to place 
and let the area revegetate and then come back next season. So, so you know, Uncle, I, I think is it fair to say then because because of the dwindling food supply, that's yeah. how the, this awful prison was born in, the, in a way because yeah, the Aboriginal was. men were really just trying to get food. They were shooting yeah. cows and chickens. Yeah, and so yeah. then they were arrested for theft and, and put in this awful prison. Yeah, and, um, yeah, and, um, well, when the, um, the, the prisoners on, on Rottnest, when they were taken over there, some of them were in chains and walked for 700 kilometres or whatever. So oh. they aren't official figures. All official figures, all official, all the figures here aren't official, you know. And um, so, like they say, there's um, um, uh, 367 or whatever uh, uh, buried, but there's probably a lot more. And um, and they, they're all unmarked graves. No, none of them was ever marked or, or named, or the names were ever put down. And a lot of the names um, were all um, uh, uh, what do you call it? Weren't even their proper names because the white man's ears are deaf to the pronunciation of. Or the, the, the um, language of the Aboriginal, because I couldn't understand what they were saying properly, you know, because of the, the, the language, yeah. you know, the, how to pronounce, the pronunciation, I mean, you know. And um, you got some, some some names, like you got one bloke, his name was, was uh, Jinjamara Jack, and then another one's name was uh, Jinjamara or Jirgamara. And um, there are a lot of blokes like that. They, they had all different names because the spelling was wrong or the Letters look like another letter. Like, you know, uh, U look like a W or a... Yeah, yeah. W look like an M. I think what you're trying to say is that there's there was a lot of language barriers. Yes, that's right. Between the whites, they were the settlers because of their lack of understanding and the ignorance of, 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 of understanding anything like uh, of the language. And... um, um some like they got so many they got they got, they got a number of how many uh, incarcerations there were but sometimes there was people would uh, some uh, uh, prisoners would come back like with a different spelling of their name or or another name yeah. altogether and um, it's quite and disgusting he's, done, he's probably done three or four stints at rottenness and, and yeah. probably some some of them have done up to seven. It's really terrible because I think from what I can gather here. Um, it looked as if at first the Aboriginal people were allowed to hunt and then the the men were actually made to build the prison on the island and were worked ruthlessly in the heat and chained and inadequately yeah, well, clothed, yeah. isn't it? And even chained at night and whipped. Yeah, that's right. Well, the first six prisoners went that were over there were chained to a tree and... Um, they uh, and they slept that night in a little cave right on the beach there, and then they burnt the tree down. They ended up burning the tree down and stole the only little boat on there and headed back to shore. But they got caught again, sent back. And, and I um, believe now. So, so, what are the what are the consequences with now? I mean, what what's the board actually trying to do now? The one year old. We've got a. We've got a a, a, a meeting of elders now, or another meeting coming up. But we've got this. Um, um, we've got our own um, a board of uh, uh, three. Three of the boys um, um, have we started off. Uh, um, uh, there's seven, seven, seven of us, or about ten altogether, and there's seven official committee men. Um, we're trying to get Rottenness. Um, um, we're trying to get the government to um, do something. For Aboriginals, for the Noongar people, Wajak people, or, or even from the state wide, really, because there's a lot of them from up there, to do something for us, not just Europeans, because there's nothing over there for, for Aboriginals over there. You, mm. The Noongars or anyone Aboriginal go over there, there's nothing Aboriginal about the island, except for where they put signs around for the um, tent land where the burials are, or what is you know, called, where the burials are now. And so um, is 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 Rottnest Island now a tourist destination? Is it? Uh, it has been for, for uh, in the past eighty years or whatever. And, and they, now, back in the first, the first World War, they had they interned a lot of the um, Austrians and um, Germans over there, and um, and uh, and um, and in the Second World, and um, the Croatians, 
uh, Dalmatia and all them, they were all part of uh, uh, Austria, realm of Austria. Anyway, and they were all over there as prisoners during the war. And the Second World War, they had all Italians over there. And a lot of them were helping to build too. I think what I'm trying to communicate to listeners here is that there was incarceration on Rottnest Island and it's it, it was it was pretty awful, wasn't it, what was happening? You know, yeah. it was all they were yeah. being chained. But now what I'm trying to say is what has that island become? Um, it's just become a lot of mecca for the rich, mainly. They're just yeah. building the great. They re-knocked down half the, the great big hotel there, and it's they've got the millions. They're spending millions and millions of dollars on re- revamping it, and they, they built on the south side. They rebuilt all the great big. They double the size of the hotel, and um, for the mega rich, for the rich, and um, and Karma, which is the uh, they've got um, they're Australia wide, worldwide. I think. I think they're owned by Indians, and. Um, They've got the uh, the ho- the other hotel there, and um, and a lot of it uh, there is in the, the museum has just reopened, revamped, and um, they've got uh, me myself and a few others uh, voiceovers and that about the island, you know, the little bits about the island in the museum with the um, the big screens and that there. That, yeah, I mean the thing is, Uncle. That's all there is. Yeah, that's all. From there is. what you've been saying. There appears to be absolutely no recognition. I mean, I think there was a short program on ABC at one stage, yes. but no recognition of the atrocities that happened on Rottnest no, Island. No, no, the, no, the, the overcrowding, the disease, the, you know... Yes, there was, there was a big yeah. outbreak in the 1800s and the, before that, a couple of big breakouts of measles, and a lot of them died of influenza, uh, from the flu. Yeah. And uh, two, two blokes were working out in the hot sun, because they had their heads shaved, and um, they got sunstruck, and they, they ended up dying through that. And that that was just a that's that's only just a little tiny drop in the water, a bucket of water, of what really happened over there. And then Mr. Vincent, Henry Vincent, he was a real yeah. Governor Hutt went over there on the inspection and said that you told him to stop using the cat and nine tails. He said the normal little lash is, is quite sufficient enough. But I don't think he, 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 that went unheeded. And he was very cruel to Henry Vincent. Extremely. Yeah, yeah, yeah the water. It's, it's really bad. I mean, I think the the thing that I also found really, really terrifying as well in reading up on all this is looking at how um, during that time with the prison that Aboriginal people faced a legal system they didn't understand... And then they were sent on boats down to Fremantle and the men from the inland language groups were scared of the ocean, which is completely yeah. foreign. I mean, how are these these white settlers totally ignorant, not even understanding about the cultural <laughs> stuff or what goes on? They're not really making an effort. Well, I've worked with a lot of them up the mines up north. I've been oh. up and down there for a few years and they're still the same. They're very yeah. different. Well, when I look at some of those places up north, beautiful land, you know what it's like up there. It's so beautiful, mm. that land up there. But a lot of them, white people from Sydney who I was working with, a lot of them, they, they, they just looked at that land as if, oh, look at this all shitty rock and oh, look at oh. this bloody dust and look at that stupid look of landscape and all this. They just didn't have no... Um, no idea. No idea at all of how beautiful that country is, the whole of Australia is. They got, they got no idea. Very eager. Un- Unfortunately, it's about corporate greed and and mining that's, and that's, and land yeah. grab. Yep, that's all it is. Yep, and um, and um, in the, to- the beginning of the 1900s, they wanted to turn it into a tourist mecca, but they um, knocked it on the head. The government knocked it on the head, and then they kept the prisoners there for another 30 years. So that's when that officially became unofficial. I mean, officially became a. Um, a non-penal colony then. That's when they, that lot of the, like in the 1915 during the war there, some of the women, uh, were, the blokes were taken off because they were fraternising with the women there. <laughs> so that would have been the yeah. European princes that would help building. But honestly, yeah. Uncle, can you imagine 
the energy down there. I mean, obviously with with Rottnest Island now, with the with all that history with the prison that was happening, yeah. and apparently from what I've been reading here, there are testimonies of people that when they go camping there, they become ill. Yeah, that's yeah, and um, yeah, even like our own fellows here sometimes if they don't do the right thing, they they, they get sick, and um, um, the um. The one follows think it's something to do with um, some kind of uh, normal health, but they because so they do not believe nothing about Aboriginal um, uh, deadly stuff like that. You know, they they cannot comprehend it. They got no idea. If you and uh, I don't bother explaining it to any white people because it just goes from one ear and out the other, and they look at you like as if you're you know you're talking you know out of your bum. But people need to know. People, This is why I invited you onto the show, Uncle Stan, because it's really important for people to understand about the genocide and about how um, Aboriginal people were treated um, on not just Rottenness Island, but yeah. incarceration. Okay. And, yeah. Well, I went, I, one, of my, one of my visits over there, I, I went down to the, where this um, holding big shed is on the south of the... Um, uh, the township there, and um, they got a big concrete, um, big concrete uh, slab thing there with a hole at one end where the blood, where they used to put them in the morgue, and that blood used to. That was the hole, which was about three inches. Mm. That was where they used to. The blood used to drain out. So the what? Sorry, the blood. The blood. The blood. Yeah, when they used to have them on the slab in the morgue, they used to wash the. Wash all the, the residue, all the blood, and step down a hole. We used to go down a hole oh. at the end of the um, big concrete slab. And a lot, I mean, seriously, uncle, you know what this sounds? I know it's bad. You know what this? It sounds yeah. like the Holocaust all over again. Well, it's, yeah, and a lot of them will walk naked from Esperance all the way to Albany, naked with a bit of lap lap or whatever. And when they got there, they given them some some bit of clothes. And some of the rugs on Rottnest were old and really thin, and that, and um, some some sympathisers wanted more done for the prisoners from up north, you know, leaving the tropics sort of thing and, and coming down to here into the cold, and um, which was killing them. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the war, the jailers and that Vincent was the worst one. They, they didn't care. No. And um, so the, if the prisoners didn't do anything right. Right, no, no, no um, food. They weren't allowed to eat. Yeah. And they were given um, they were given um, uh, bottles and that, and, you know, the big bottles and all that. They're still right. All, all the artifacts are still there. All the um, chips and broken bottles everywhere are still up on the hill with the telecom. They've got their Telstra. They've got their um, communication tower there, all around that. Um, and um, anyway, they got, that's where they used to make all beautiful spearheads and everything out of bottles. And that's how they used to get decent feed. To go down and on the Sundays was the day off, and they just to go. We're allowed to go fishing and hunting, yeah. To get a decent, the only meat they got would have been fish and mussels or whatever they got off the rocks. Until well, I'm hoping that lots of people were listening today and that they learnt a little bit about the very dark history of Australia, yeah. Yeah, like, this is only just a little bit. Where are you from, Maureen? Sorry? Where are you from? Myself? Yeah. Oh, I I've actually was born here, but my parents are actually Italian. And oh, okay. But I have worked, um, I've done a lot of inter- interviews with, with First Nations people over many, yeah. many, many years. And oh, okay. I, I feel so angry about the way that, you know, with deaths in custody and also with the the incarceration. Yeah. Well, when I'm curious. Back in the, yeah. Well, Government Hutt said back in the early days that they didn't want any chains on them. But yeah. they didn't listen and the chains were still on. They were still chained for another 120 years. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, there was, and there's one bloke from the Kimberleys, his name, they called him Captain. He, um, he was never to take... Never, it was on his drum record that he was never to get taken back to the Kimberleys, and they were it's, they were walked 
they were walked from the north all the way down, like hundreds and hundreds of miles, just in, in chains, and then put on ships and brought down down to the Rockless. Just for just for um, simple little little charges, things, you know. It's disgusting. It, re- yeah. it really is absolutely deplorable, Uncle. It's it's deplorable. And, and the, um, yeah, the government room he closed the old cemetery in the 1800s to open another you know, number two grave, but there was no, nothing put in the number two grave, and um. Um, uh, they um, still and, and the, the white graves have got little stones there, like um, head, headstones and that. And some of them haven't, but a lot of them have. And a lot of them were little white babies, you know, from the from the wives that went over with their husbands. With oh. working and there's still a lot of little babies there, white babies. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the graves. It's really they, horrible. Yeah. Some of the graves that, that they were um, they were never found. Mm. I'm surprised Aboriginal people had graves. Yeah. Well, well, what I mean by a grave is just a hole and just put them in there and just lift it, cover it of up. Of course. That's yeah. not a grave. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. Yeah. That's not really a grave. <laughs> yeah, and they were... Some of them were putting this... They put the first, they built the first, um, like, a um, long rectangular tang, rooms. They were 20 metres by 5 metres long. It was fireplace yeah. in each end. And there were several cells down the end of one for, for the for the prisoners. Absolutely. And, uh, now, yeah. Uncle, I'd better finish soon because I've only got a couple of minutes left, but it really was great to yeah. talk to you, and I'm wondering, can I call you sometimes and, and have you back yeah. on the show again sometime? Well, yeah, so, and I just want, well, some of the cells were only two metres by three metres, and, um, and there were four to five people in the cell. Really? Yeah. 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 Uh, how were they? Yeah. Uh, and they a lot of genocidal had, policies. Yeah, and, and the early, the first, say, 50 years or whatever, they, like, a lot of them, a lot of the times they only had cabbage leaves and they added a bit of cereal in it, which was like a gruel. That's what they wow. eat twice a day. Yeah, that's that's really crazy. All right, Uncle. We're we're going to be okay. we're going to be finishing soon. But thank you very much for coming onto the show, and I, and I'd like to have you back very soon. Okay, thank you very much. All the best. T- say hello to your daughter to to Mary Marianne McKay for me, won't you? Yeah, I will. Thank you. Take care. Okay, bye. Good bye, Uncle. See ya. Thank you. Bye. bye. So, here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong and how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Jan. And you're back with the Doing Time show and I'm out of here now. Thank you to all our guests. And we're going out now with our theme song, Black Fella, White Fella by the Rumpy Band. Stay tuned um, next Monday for International Women's Day. I'll be doing a show about Aboriginal women impacted by the criminal justice system. And tune in every day, every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Doing Time show. Bye.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.